Good morning! Welcome to this final day of April. April 30th, can you believe it? Can you believe it? April's already over. A couple of weeks from now, it's PGA Championship in Rochester. The exact same week as the Lilac Festival. Holy cow! What a uh, busy time ahead of us here in Rochester. Weather finally getting ready to turn a little bit. Our shitty days now are like 50 degree days, which is good. We used to long for those 50 degree days. Now it's that's our worst case scenario. So happy about that. Um, listen, interesting podcast today because I was sitting here thinking, well, what am I going to talk about? You know, I didn't have time to do an interview. I didn't, uh, you know, I don't have a huge like topic. I think that I am dying to get off my chest. Looking back at my week, I had some fun stuff this week. I, I actually drove to Ohio on Wednesday night for my mother's 70th birthday party, and uh, what she asked from me for her birthday was just that I make dinner for her and 12 of her friends, and that was I was honored by that, so I did that on Wednesday. I drove home and made dinner for my mother and a bunch of her friends, um, and my mom, as a return gift, kind of organized a miniature surprise party for myself, because I turned 40 just a month ago. So she organized a miniature surprise party, and a handful of my friends showed up then later in the day, and uh, or later in the night, and that was, a, of course, a really, really nice surprise for me. And, uh, it, you know, but but again, just a really good night, good vibes, good people, like, good everything. Uh, and then I was thinking, well, what else? You know, last, last night, Saturday night, I attended the uh, EPI, Empowering People's Independence Organization's 37th Annual Chocolate Ball which is a brilliant concept for a gala because, you know, they get these cakes donated. The bakers get good exposure out of it because they stand next to their cakes and hand out about a thousand different cards to people because uh, everyone needs to buy a cake a few times a year, right? And, um, and then at the end of the night, they don't even have to go around and gather a bunch of live auction items prior to their gala to auction off because the live auction items are the cakes, <laughs> right? Like, I'm looking at this, I'm going, this is a genius concept for a gala, so. Uh, but really good, I was the auctioneer last night and one of the judges, which means at one point yesterday I had 10 pieces of chocolate cake put in front of me. And I'm going to be honest with you, you look at me and you probably think, oh, he could eat cheat. No, I ate like one bite of all 10 pieces, which would equate to maybe just over a piece of cake. And I was like, done for the day. Like, it was too much for me. Anyway, again, last night, good vibes, good people, nothing, ju I'm looking for a podcast here, you know, I'm like, what am I gonna talk about, and, and, and I came up with this thing that's been kind of going around my head for a while, and that is a list I've been working on for a month, I, I maybe month, month and a half, ever since I kind of had this idea, and I thought, you know, one of these days, I'm gonna really need a topic for a podcast, what can I do, and I came up with this idea that I would talk about the 10 most influential people in my life and who I thought they were and why they were influential. <clears throat> and each one of these people could be a 30 minute episode themselves or even more about why they're so influential. So I'm going to try and pack it all into one and just do a minute or so on each person. Uh, but the 10 people who I think really shaped me, made me, turned me into who I am today. And I, I, I'm calling it the thank you podcast. This is thank yous. These, this is a thank you to the 10 people who, who turned me into me today. And I'm going to go through the list with you right now. And one thing before I do the list is I do cheat on this list a little bit. And that is there's way more than 10 people in this list. Uh, you'll see what I mean when I get. There's 10 bullet points, right? 10 talking points. 
but in a couple of the situations, I'm including more than one person. It was more of a situation that I'm including here. So you'll see what I mean when we get there, though. But um, by no means have there only been 10 people who have had influence on my life. There's been far more people, frankly, not to get all corny about it, but I feel like anyone I've spent any time with in my life has had some influence on my life. And, uh, and I just think there's no getting, getting, you know, around that basically that, that that's the truth. And it's really, really hard to narrow that down much further than, uh, than that. It's hard to narrow it down is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, at the end of the day, there's probably going to be people I'm going to feel I left off of this list, but this is where I'm at. These are 10 very influential people and the things they did to influence me. So number one on the list is the probably most obvious my mother. Yeah, my mom was a strong, strong woman. Um, my mom is a, first of all, let's talk about work ethic, right? I, I, this is a woman who I never, ever, ever saw call off sick one time in my entire life from work. This woman never got up and said, I can't go to work today. Uh, now listen, some of that's a little old school. Did she ever go to work with a cold? I'm sure she did. I think that's frowned upon in 2023, but nonetheless, you know, it instills a work ethic in you. That's just off the freaking charts. The other thing is tough skin, thick skin. You know, my mom was a teacher. Uh, the, the, there's a crazy thing that happens in this country with teachers where that is that like half the people love our teachers and think our teachers deserve gold, you know, Brinks trucks full of gold backed up onto their lawn. But there's other people who think teachers, you know, oh, must be nice. You get uh, the whole summer off, huh? Two weeks off at Christmas must be nice. You know, they, my mom grew up in a small town with a lot of ignorance where there were plenty of people who were going to tell a teacher that she had an easy life. Uh, despite the fact that let's not forget teachers don't get paid all that well, first of all. Second of all, uh, let's not forget that teachers are uh, buying all of their own materials for their classrooms. And third of all, let's not forget that teachers only have your child for a small amount of time when you really think about it. And so, you know, parent, whether it's parents telling them, you know, in a parent-teacher conference, my mom having to tell a parent, well, you know, I think you need to work on this, and the, the parent's telling her back, well, some people would say that's your job. Well, look, man, I got your kid to teach them math, for like one hour a day, five days a week for a very small period of their life, you are their parent. It is definitely your job to make sure that they are developing as a human being in all ways, including math. I'm just here to set the foundation and kind of teach them how math works. Anyway, I got to see the thick skin that my mom had to have, and I got to develop a thick skin of my own, and I got to see a work ethic, a drive that was unmatched. Which brings me to person number two in regards to work ethic and just being generally kind, and that is my father. Person number two has to be my father. He was same thing on work ethic. I, again, I just do not think I ever saw this man take a sick. Who, if there was a blizzard, I mean, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, my father would wake up an hour early and shovel to make sure he could get his car out so that he could get to work on time during a blizzard. Um, you know, this is a guy who just didn't miss work, didn't miss an obligation, worked a lot of, uh, a lot of tough jobs too. I mean, my father, when I was younger was working swing shift, which means first shift for a week, second shift for a week, third shift for a week. That's a really tough thing to do. 
I mean, looking back now, I'm an adult now, swing shift would be terrible to have an entire week where I got to work overnights and then a week where I work during the day and then a week where I work in the afternoon. Like, I mean, that's just awful. And then for a while he was on 12 hour shifts. And then, um, you know, I think towards the end of his career, he finally worked his way into a a, sort of a Monday through Friday first shift job. (coughs) But that was only for the last five or six years. I think, I I mean, he spent most of his career and my father had gotten laid off once too. So I, I have some, some of my earliest memories are actually from when my father got laid off. He, I think he was out of work for six or nine months at one point looking for a job, and I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, but but really, and, and the other thing is my father was just so kind around town. Um, he, you know, don't forget, he was the uh, man of the year, or I should say citizen of the year in our hometown a couple of years ago. And it really is because he's just the kind of guy who doesn't say no to things. And if he's asked to do something, he does it and he puts his whole self into it. And so uh, it really just, uh, I would say with my mom and dad, there there was just a, it's sad to say it, you know, now I'm 40 years old. I've been around the block once or twice. I got a few more trips around the block to go, but just simply showing up on time and doing what you're supposed to do. It is sad how far ahead that puts you. Just that. And I mean, those basic building blocks, the most simple, just basic building blocks of just that being a bare minimum. Show up, show up on time and do what you say you're going to do were installed in me by my mom and dad throughout my entire life. And uh, and again, that seems so basic and so easy, but then you go on later in life and realize that Man, just that little bit puts you ahead of like fifty percent of people already in the world who just aren't gonna who just aren't gonna do that. It's crazy, right? Um, next up, uh, I'm gonna stick with family before we move off family. I'm gonna uh, combine here and cheat a little, and I'm gonna say my grandfathers, both of my grandfathers, Grandpa Pete, who you might know through the sauce business. That's Grandpa Guglielmo, who's on the jar of sauce. But then also my other grandfather, Grandpa Ed Strong, who was the chief of police in Lawrence Park, Pennsylvania, uh, when I was a kid. And the two of them combined, I'll start with Pete real quick. My Grandpa Pete was this loud storyteller, opinionated, never embarrassed. And I would have to say that's that's probably the thing the biggest thing I took away from my grandpa, as much as it sounds like, well, you sauce, you know, and and, uh, and 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 talking and storytelling, those are the things you took from your grandpa Pete. I'll be honest with you, storytelling, that was Grandpa Ed. My grandpa Ed was the guy who just I loved being around Grandpa Ed because he would tell us stories about being a police officer and about making arrests and chasing criminals and things like that. And Grandpa Ed was so kind, and he had five daughters, and he wore this sweatshirt towards the end of his life that said, I have five beautiful daughters, and just like such a kind, kind man, but also flawed, right? He was divorced. He had apparently had some sort of an affair in his life. I don't really know. It's none of my business, but flawed, but beautiful at the same time. I heard a great story later also in life about how when he was divorced uh, that my, my Aunt Kim um, who was the youngest of the five daughters that he would meet her because he was a police officer. So he'd be on duty and he would actually meet her every day on her way to school. He would park his, his patrol car somewhere so that he could see her walking to school and, you know, get out and give her a hug and say hello and everything. And just really sweet, 
sweet, right? Now, back to my Grandpa Pete for a second, and the point I left off with was this idea of just never being embarrassed. My Grandpa Pete was just never embarrassed by anything. And frankly, I was not like that uh, uh, for a while. I've gotten to be like that now. It's it's pretty difficult to embarrass me right now in my life, I'll be honest with you. I'm still human. I think it's possible to embarrass me, but it is way less way, way less likely to embarrass me. And um, that's another thing I feel like I have that I notice a lot of people around me don't have. I have noticed through my life for decades that people are very, very careful about how they are perceived publicly, that people are very careful. I mean, I'm talking about the tiniest of insignificant examples of people who are afraid to go to lunch by themselves, people will not walk into, just put it this way, people won't walk into a function by themselves. I went to the chocolate ball last night, and I just walk in by myself. There are so many people who would never walk into a, a, a ball or a gala or the movies or a restaurant or a party or a bar anywhere by themselves. There are so many people who just will not do that. It's just embarrassing for them. And and I just, I don't have that gene in me. And I really think it came from my grandfather. And my grandfather was just a guy who just didn't care what people thought. And uh, and I really think I took that from him. Um, next up is, and this is where I say I cheat. See, I already cheated. Number three was two people, right? Number four is going to be an entire country. <laughs> Number four is Italy. From my year of being an exchange student, let me just set this straight because a lot of times people don't realize this. I was not a student. I was not a, a study abroad. I was an exchange student. There is a difference. I was there for an entire year and I lived with a host family. I think study abroad is great, but it typically happens in college. You typically go with a bunch of students from America over to another country and you typically live in an apartment or a dorm with the other American students. Much different experience than what I had. I had an entire year in a country where I was fully submerged. Zero Americans traveled with me. And I lived with a host family, a couple of host families, actually, while I was in Italy. And to sum up the entire experience of Italy and why I call it the most influential thing or the most important thing in my life or why it's on this list is because in Italy is where I learned to be tolerant of all people and all cultures and where I realized a basic truth about humanity, and that is that we are all the good guy in our version of the story. And what I mean by that is I went to Italy for a few weeks. It was like I was a tourist. I was looking around. I was eating pizza and pasta, and it was cool that I was in Italy. Eventually, that wears away, and it just becomes day-to-day life, and you realize that they are just people living their lives, loving their families, trying to provide, and getting by, and that's beautiful. And that's something that just immediately opened me up to tolerance of other cultures and countries. And you start to realize that everybody is just doing what they think is best for themselves and their families. And that's it. And I think that's true across the entire globe. And an understanding that I was able to get at an early age because of that experience. Next up is going to be a a, a name on this list I think is going to surprise a couple of people. It's a guy named Kent Houston. He was our high school basketball coach. Now, I was not very good at basketball, but I was good enough that I made the team and I played, but I didn't actually get any playing time. 
<laughs> Ken Houston was a guy who, I don't know how to put this, he was kind of, he's on this list because he played the role of the asshole boss in my life. And what I mean by that is even though he was a coach, I'm still putting him in that role, he was very similar to a boss, a coach and a boss are kind of similar, right? In that he expected more than you were possibly able to give. He gave you very, very little validation, meaning if you did the thing that he was asking you to do, you barely got any acknowledgement that you had done it. But if you didn't do what he was asking you to do, he tore you a new asshole. <laughs> and uh, and he also kind of played favorites. Um, he, he was – here's what he did well and here's what he did terribly, right? I'll give you a couple things. What he did well was he was assertive and he had a process. He wasn't just winging it. He was very well planned out. What we were doing in basketball practice preparing for games, and I guess I should probably tell you guys, we were a very good basketball team. When I was a senior in high school, we went 19-1, and one, um, and, and, and we did lose the first game of the tournament, though, so I guess we weren't that prepared. But we were a very good basketball team that was very, very well prepared all season to take on our opponents, and that was him. He was a homework guy. He had film. He was breaking down film for us, you know, showing us – a game plan, and it was a really well thought out game plan, and we were we had very strategic practices, and so I think seeing somebody be that strategic and that well planned out was was the good side of that. He was he was militant in that way, and also in like a conditioning way, and how hard we worked at practice. He was very militant in that way, uh, but the negatives on him were he played favorites, right? He was overly cruel i think at times he said some very mean things to us players and and the lesson i come a, away from here is it's interesting to see how close he was to being loved but at the exact same time how far he was from being loved because everyone on that team recognized that he was a jerk everyone on that team had some respect for him some fear for him and it was so close to being perfect. If he could have just notched down the asshole part a bit, you know, he could have, uh, he could have, um, he probably could have been really beloved. And I think he missed being beloved. And instead he goes, goes down in history as someone who was okay instead of just like legendary status was because he just couldn't shake that little bit of assholeism and being cruel to people. And I think that that's uh, something I learned from him was how to not let myself get to that spot, right? Okay. Next up's a guy named Doctor Rainey. This was my, this was my, um, uh, guy, I guess counselor I should say in college. Uh, he was the guy who was in charge of me during my junior and senior year in college, and deciding what I wanted to do next year. And this will be a short and simple one because this guy really set me on my path. But at the time, I was a psychology major with a minor in mentor, mental health services, or I should say a concentration in mental health services. And Dr. Rainey was in charge of helping me get into graduate school so I could go on to get a master's and perhaps a doctorate and become a therapist, which is what I wanted to do in life. And um, Dr. Rainey got to know me knew that I was spending a ton of time at the radio station on campus, knew that I was pouring a lot of my extra time into the radio station, editing audio and 
working on just generally working and building up a, a, a tool set of radio skills. And Dr. Rainey's the guy who eventually had that conversation with me about, you know, maybe you need to pursue that. It seems like you have a lot of passion for this radio thing. And it seems as though maybe psychology is just what you're doing because it's the only school subject you've found that's mildly interesting to you. Because I was always the type of student who could get straight B's without trying. C, if the class was hard. And A, if I thought the class was interesting. And so psychology was the first time I was ever finding anything interesting. And so Dr. Rady was the first guy who kind of explained to me, you know, um, Maybe you should follow your passion. You're 22 years old. This is, this is, if you're going to follow your passion, now's the time to do it. And if you're spending all of these extra hours working on radio just for fun, that might be your passion, man. So, Dr. Rainey, I appreciate you encouraging me to apply to radio stations instead of graduate schools. Next up, I've got a guy named Mike Anderson and his wife, Kim Strong. Uh, Mike, unfortunately, is no longer with us. Kim Strong is my Aunt Kim, who I've already referenced once during this podcast. And they were influential for this reason. Mike himself was an entrepreneur. Mike uh, had started a business that failed called Dr. Dirt, which was a landscaping business. He then followed that up with another business called Dr. Dessert, which was a vending machine business, which was very successful in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. And he was really in the prime of his career, unfortunately, when he passed away. But he was also in the prime of his career when I knew him and got to spend a lot of time with him, which was in my late teens and early 20s. And Mike was the kind of guy who was the he was really the first entrepreneur business owner who I had full, direct, unedited access to. And this was at a time when I was starting to allow my brain to be formed and start to understand what that even meant to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. And so Mike in general just answered my questions. I don't know how to put it any other way. Mike gave me very clear and unedited and just the truth about what it was like to run a business. And he was the first guy who ever did that. And I would ask him questions. I mean, some questions were as stupid as, do you sell more Snickers bars than Milky Ways? And other questions were right down to, you know, profit margins and, uh, and sales techniques and things like that. And Mike answered me. Now, the other person uh, who I'm, I told you I was cheating, right? Two people on this bullet point. My Aunt Kim, on the other hand, was a writer. Still is. And my Aunt Kim was Mike's, Mike's wife. Uh, at the time, and again, probably still would be if he hadn't passed. Uh, but Kim uh, was such a strong force in her in her own right, still is, of course, was such a strong force in her own right. Um, and I just thought that it was the first power couple that I ever knew. Do, do you know what I mean? It was the first time I ever saw this uber successful business owner and this uber successful uh, writer in a relationship together, doing very well, uh, it appeared doing very well financially, over the moon happy with each other. It seemed they were doing well in so many different ways, and it just felt accessible. You know what I mean? Like, it just felt like, oh, I could, oh my God, this is like a, a couple out of a movie, and I, and, I have, and I know them in real life, and they are just normal people. And, uh, and, and it's achievable. So I got to be around them and see it as achievable, and that's where I'm going with that. All right. Next up is a guy named Brother Weeze, who is uh, being inducted into the Rochester Music Hall of Fame tonight. 
Brother Wheeze was one of the most influential people in my life. He had some of the same qualities as my grandpa Pete, which was really why I was dying to work with him at first because Brother Wheeze was, you know, uh, this just loud guy who was seemingly embarrassed by nothing, great storyteller, and really just the exact same way I would describe my grandpa Pete. And so that was what was immediately amusing to me. Now, Brother Wheeze was a legend in Rochester when I got here, and I didn't know him. So I came in fresh, and that was an advantage, I think, because I didn't have an intimidation factor with Brother Wheeze that most other people would have because they knew him as this legend who'd been on the radio for 30 years. To me, he was he was cool. You know, the first time I ever saw him, he was like this little motorcycle guy with all these tattoos and a gravelly voice, and I was like, this is kind of cool, you know, and I just... I didn't have that history going in, and therefore I wasn't intimidated. Because I wasn't intimidated, I wasn't afraid to ask for a job with him. I eventually got to be his backup phone screener, worked my way up to producer, and by the end I was really producer slash co-host with him. And uh, and Brother Wee's taught me a, a, a lot of things, and there was, there was a couple things he probably taught me not to do as well, uh, kind of back in the Kent Houston, you know, <laughs> in the same category of like, you know, um, I learned a couple of really good lessons from Brother Wheeze. Back to the same stuff from my grandfather. Not to be embarrassed, how to be a storyteller, how to compel people. A couple of just general life lessons like, uh, like there's a, I got about a hundred of these I learned from him, but a really good one is when somebody's firstborn has a birthday, that's really the mom's holiday, you know? Like when you're going, and I'm going to a lot of these right now, birthday parties for kids because my son gets invited to them. And if it's ever the oldest, I always make sure to find the mom and tell her, you know, congratulations to you, by the way. This is the day you became a mom. And I learned that from Brother Wheeze, and I think that's really sweet. Wheeze also taught me how to kind of deal with management, how to deal with uh, – but Wheeze basically taught me that it was okay to say no to people who were more powerful than me or who I at least perceived as more powerful than me. And I think that was a really, really important lesson because Brother Weeze was not afraid to tell management that he disagreed with them. And that was something that I think up until working with Weeze, I thought was a no-no. And that carried with me in radio, but then also into business now where, frankly, if I said yes to everybody around me, I mean, if I gave everyone, my vendors, my clients, frankly, even my employees, everything they wanted, if my rule was I say yes, I'd be out of business. Oh, my God. If I gave my vendors the price they wanted, if I gave my clients the price they wanted, and if I gave my employees the salaries they wanted, frankly, I'd be homeless. I mean, you know, I think some of that backbone came from working with Wheeze for all those years, not being afraid to stand up for myself. Now, I learned some lessons, I would say, also from Brother Weez in a negative way, frankly. Um, there was one thing that that I think I learned from Weez, uh, and that was that if I'm the leader and there is credit to be given, that credit belongs to my team. If I am the leader and there is blame to be given, that blame belongs to me. And that's something I think I've carried with me as well. Next up on the list is a gentleman named Tom Riggio, my business partner to this day, getting into modern times now. Number nine on the list is Tom Riggio. And uh, Tom is my business partner slash mentor. He was really a mentor before he was a partner. Uh, I've gushed about him on this podcast before. Tom's taught me a, a, a zillion things about business, day-to-day stuff. I mean, just the actual day-to-day grind stuff that actually helps you make a business successful. But I would say if I had to boil it 
down. The number one lesson probably that Tom taught me was being true to a brand and not necessarily sales, right? He told me that years ago when I was trying to build up Guglielmo's to be a successful local brand. And he taught me you're building a brand, not selling sauce. And at first when you hear that, you go, what the hell is he talking about? And then you really start to see the difference. And the difference is your brand has to have a true north, you know, a, a, a value proposition, a, a set of values, core values that your brand is always heading towards. And a really good, just clear cut example of what it means to build a brand, not sell sauce is sales, putting your product on sale, you know, buy one, get one free or something, as opposed to not doing that. You're, you're, you're actually damaging your brand by putting your product on sale. Now I say that, and it's funny I even say that because we are about to, in the next couple of weeks, do our first ever sale at Wegmans. Uh, we're going to do a shopper's club, you know, a yellow sticker dollar off our sauce in the near future. Long story there, but basically a company that we use for some materials at our plant has given us some promo money and we're going to use the promo money to move product on that, uh, on that basically. And so we're going to, we are going to do our first ever little experiment here where we're going to do a dollar off the brand. Um, it's been eight years. I think we built the brand. It's almost nine years. Actually. I think we built the brand pretty strong at this point. Haven't done a single sale in nine years. So we'll see. We will see. Anyway, Tom really taught me brand integrity, having a true North, and then just a zillion I could never list out little lessons about what it is to run a business and how to make a business profitable. And finally, number 10 on the list, I'm going to cheat one more time and put multiple people into this one, is my family. My wife, Ryan, my son, Leo. Being a father changed me in so many ways. It uh, immediately knocks every other priority in your life down a notch and becomes your new number one priority, which in and of itself is one of the greatest life lessons. And then my wife, who is a very strong, driven individual as well. My wife will challenge me. Uh, my wife will accept being challenged. She'll allow challenges to go back and forth between us. She's strong. She works hard. She has a career, and she is skyrocketing to the moon at the exact same time that I am. And if that sounds good or looks good or sounds sexy, looks sexy, looks fantastic, let me tell you, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's just a collision. And uh, and And you know what? We love each other through it. We make each other better. We support each other when things do get tough. We've got each other's backs. We support each other in public. This is probably the number one key, I would say, between my wife and I. I got my wife's back in public. She's got my back in public. Behind closed doors, we'll hold each other accountable. Right? And I think that's a great, great way to be with your number one person. I do. My son, of course, I don't even have to go into detail on what it is to have a child. Those of you who have one know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, it's just take everything you care about in life and just just downgrade it by one <laughs> because you have a new thing that outranks all of it. He is the love of my life, the apple of my eye, and he has changed me more than anything in history. And that's it. Those are the 10 most influential people in my life. I hope this podcast was okay, not overly corny and helped you understand a little bit about how I became who I am. I was thinking about also doing like the 10 most influential moments in my life. And I'll tell you what, I might start working on that list too. All right. Have a good one. Thank you.